So Romans 3, verse 21 to 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, <coughs> because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Thanks so much, Christine. And uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul. If I haven't met you, I'd uh, love to meet you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here. It'd be great if you'd keep that uh, part of the, the Bible open. We're going to be digging into that. And uh, in the handout, hopefully, uh, the outline there will give you a sense of where we're heading. But how would I pray for us before we, before we get started? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and lives this morning to hear you speak. And by the power of your spirit, to go from here, seeking to live for you more and for ourselves less. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Well, we all want justice, don't we? I've uh, got some nods over here. Yeah, people are like, yes, we want justice. Uh, well, on the 8th of November, 1923, Adolf Hitler... Uh, led the Nazi party on a coup to overthrow the German government. I wonder if you've heard of this, it's called it the, the B-Hall Push. He stormed in with 20 of his uh, closest followers into this B-Hall in Munich, and uh, there were government officials in there. He locked the doors, stationed two machine guns at the doors, and he walked through the crowd, broke through the crowd saying, the national revolution has begun. But due to lack of organisation and lack of uh, failing to take control of the communication channels, over the course of the next two days, the coup failed. The Munich police were able to come in to arrest him, charge him with high treason. Hitler was then brought before a, general, uh, a panel of five judges. Uh, and even though he committed crimes against the state, he was given a, a lenient five-year sentence because the judges were pro-Nazi. Usually a crime of high treason had resulted in a 10-year or life imprisonment. And even then, the, the judges had to be convinced 
to give him five years rather than acquit him. Hitler was then sentenced, he, he, you know, sentenced to five years, but he only spent eight months behind bars. Justice was not done. Hitler was guilty, but he didn't pay the price for his crimes. And that's not to mention what he went on to do after he was released from prison. We hate stories like this, don't we? We want justice to be done. We want the guilty to be punished and we want the innocent to be set free. We can't stand the idea of a corrupt judge where truth and justice is is thwarted because the one dispensing it isn't just. That is until we're the ones in the dock, isn't it? We want justice to be done until we're the ones on the receiving end of it. Until, until we, until, until we have to pay the price for what we've done. Then, we'd rather be shown mercy. We'd rather be shown mercy, wouldn't we, when we, you know, go back to our, our car, the tickets expired, and the, t- the, the parking inspector's there. We'd rather be shown mercy when, you know, we get that, that email from the library saying we've got some overture books. We'd rather be shown mercy when uh, we're caught plagiarizing or a uni assignment. We want justice to be done until we're the ones being held to account. And the reality is, there's a day coming where we will all be held to account before God. We'll be held to account for the creator of the world, the, the sustainer of our lives, and the just judge of the world. And over the past few weeks in Romans, we've seen how right God is to be angry with us, haven't we? In chapter 1, we saw how each of us has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We've rejected him as our creator and we've worshipped and served created things rather than him. In chapter 2, we saw how the self-righteous, those who sit on judgment of others, do the same things. And then last week in chapter 3, in verse 10, we saw this. There's no one righteous, not even one. No one understands, understands there is no one who seeks God. Paul, throughout the, the first three chapters of Romans, is at pains to tell us we are deserving of God's righteous judgment because we've all turned away from him. And in our passage today, he sums it up in verse 23. Have a look there with me. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. From Vladimir Putin to Mother Teresa, the whole of humanity is guilty before God. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, whoa, Paul, it's cold, it's a Sunday morning, you know, I'm not such a bad person, am I? Just because I'm not exactly like God wants me to be, that doesn't mean I'm not good. Well, the question then is, how good do you think you need to be to be right with God? If life was an exam, what would the pass mark be? Is it 50%? Or maybe because we're dealing with God, it's more like 70 to 80%? Well, actually, the pass mark with God is 100%. He wants us to, be, to live perfectly and obediently under Him. In God's eyes, a miss is as good as a mile. And when you miss the mark with God, there are terrible consequences. I wonder, have you heard of uh, Robbie Knievel? Robbie uh, is uh, the son of Evil Knievel, if you might have heard of him. Robbie also ended up being a motorbike stunt rider. And one of his most famous jumps 
was over the Grand Canyon. Uh, this was back in 1999, and Robbie jumped over the Grand Canyon at a width of 230 feet. Uh, he flew through the sky on this uh, 500cc motorbike just at 90 miles an hour. Uh, one reporter who was there saw Knievel make this jump, and he said this. He said, if Knievel failed to land his jump, he risked plunging 2,500 feet to his death on the Kenyan floor below. This gives a whole new appreciation, of, doesn't it, of missing the mark. Whether Knievel missed his landing by a metre or 20 metres, it didn't matter. He was still going to face terrible consequences. And that's what it's like to fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. And we all face terrible consequences. We stand guilty before him, deserving of death and judgment. We stand guilty before a righteous judge, deserving of his justice. And so we have these two burning issues. We want justice. We want God to be just, to dispense justice in a perfect and righteous way. And yet we're the ones standing before him guilty. If justice is to be served, we will be included in the ones who deserve his righteous judgment. So with these two burning issues, the, the question Romans chapter 3 is answering is this. Can God make us right with him and still be just? Is there any hope for sinful people like you and me without God compromising on his justice and righteousness? You know, the glorious news for us today is that God has made a way. He's made a way to uphold his justice and righteousness and for us to be right with him. We're going to see this by unpacking two life-changing truths. We're going to see this by uh, seeing that firstly God provides a righteousness to us that is not based on our works. And then secondly, God provides a righteousness based on what Jesus' death on the cross achieved. So firstly, God provides a righteousness to us that is not based on our works. Have a look there with me again at verse 21. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. See those first two words? Beautiful words, aren't they? But now. You know, the last few chapters have been bad news, haven't they? But these first two words mark a change. They mark a new era is dawning here. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed. And this righteousness that is revealed, actually Paul already alluded to it in his opening chapter in Romans. He said this in Romans 1.17. He said, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. This righteousness of God that Paul's talking about here is talking about the righteousness of God himself. It's about his character, his righteousness, his goodness and justice being revealed in him sending Jesus. And did you see how it is revealed? It's by saving people through faith. Not through works of the law. This righteousness is apart from the law. God has made a way for his justice and righteousness to be revealed, and at the same time, for us to be made right with him. 
It's not based on our works. Because as we've seen over the last few weeks, laws, morals, rituals, they won't make us right with God because we can't follow them perfectly. I heard a a story of an author in York, uh, in the UK, who each morning he would uh, walk to the train station and walk past this sign. Uh, And on the sign uh, was uh, Romans 14, 12, uh, which says this, it says, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Each morning, though, the author would walk past this verse and then sit on the train, and this verse would roll round and round in his head. You know what his conclusion was as he thought about this? He said, the longer I live, the harder I find it is to justify myself. Not because I'm a bad person, but because I know I'm not as good as I could be. When did you feel like this author? You feel the weight of your sin before God that, you know, when you reflect on your life, on your heart, on your actions, you realise, actually, I'm not as good as I could be. And you need to hear these words. But now, God's righteous character has been revealed. He has made a way for you to be right with him, and it's not based on what you have to do. Tim Keller, he describes righteousness like this. He says, righteousness is a validating performance record. Now, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, think about it. If you apply for a job, uh, you get out your resume, don't you? you? You list off all your achievements and qualifications. You hand that to your prospective employee, and you say to them, look at my performance record. Look at my achievements. Look at what I've done. Employ me based on them. Accept me based on my performance. You want to get a degree at university? You you hand the university your academic record. And you say, look at my marks. Look at my achievements. Accept me. Give me a degree based on that. That's the way it is in all of life. We seek to be validated and accepted by what we do. By how good our performance is. Uh, in the movie Chariots of Fire, one of my favourite movies, a running movie, uh, one of the main characters, his name's Harold Abrams. This is based on a true story. He's a 100-metre sprinter, and his life goal is to get a gold medal at the Olympics. Uh, and there's this one line in the film where he, he articulates his drive for this. Uh, he says, When that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. This is a man whose whole life is lived in pursuit of being validated by what he does. And you know what happens? He gets that gold medal, but it's not enough. His performance doesn't actually ultimately fulfil him, doesn't actually validate him. And this performance-based mindset of seeking to be validated by what we do, what we achieve, is, you know, so so uh, often how we all live. If I just achieve this, if I just get this job, if I just have this and this and this, then I'll be accepted. Now, I reckon that's how many of us think it works with God. We just get out our moral record. We just get out our church attendance record. We just serve at church. We just get out our daily Bible readings. 
and we say, God, look at what I've done, accept me based on that. But that's not how you get accepted by God. But now, the righteousness of God has been revealed. God, in his goodness and justice, provides the way to be right with him, and it's not based on what we do. The way he does this is giving us what we can't get for ourselves. He gives us, out of his justice and righteousness, he gives us righteousness. He gives us a perfect performance record before him. Paul says this in verse 22. You said that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. God is righteous and good, and he shows us by giving us. It's a free gift to all those who have faith in Jesus. There's no other worldview or or philosophy or religion that isn't based on your performance, but not the gospel. God has revealed his righteousness to us, and he's able to declare us righteous because he's paved the way for us. How does he do that? Well, that leads on to our, our second point. God provides a righteousness to us based on what Jesus' death on the cross achieves. Have a look there with me at verse 24. It says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. These two verses show us beautifully how God provides how we can be declared right in Him. And the basis of our righteousness is all centered around what Jesus' death achieved. Paul in these his verses uses three words to show us what his death achieves. He says, Jesus' death on the cross justifies us, it redeems us, and it atones for us. So firstly, Jesus' death justifies us. Now what does it what does it mean to be justified? Well this this word justify uh, it's a legal term used in uh, the, the law courts. Uh, in, the, in the court of law someone is either in the right or in the wrong. They're either guilty or innocent. Someone who is justified is someone who no longer is guilty. And uh, they've been declared righteous. All the charges brought against them have been dropped. And actually, to be justified by God is more than just to be forgiven of your sin. It's actually to be treated like you've never sinned in the first place. Now, one of my um, favourite shows growing up was the show 24. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's the show that follows this counter-terrorist agent, uh, Jack Bauer, going around trying to, you know, uh, thwart... Uh, terrorist imminent attacks on the United States. And usually each episode, he'll capture one of the terrorists and he'll be trying to extract this information from them. And one of the carrots he'll use to get them to talk is this this presidential immunity. Uh, In other words, uh, he's offering them uh, the chance for their uh, every atrocity they've done up till then will be wiped clean. To be justified before God, is to have our record wiped clean. 
But maybe, maybe some of you, you're wondering, and even with that illustration, maybe you feel a bit uncomfortable with that idea. Surely you're thinking that isn't just. Surely if God is the just judge, he can't just kind of sweep our sin under the carpet. And you're right. God doesn't just turn a blind eye to our sin. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean with no consequences. He is just and righteous. His, his character demands payment for our sin. And it's on the cross he said his sin paid for. And this idea is picked up on in the second word he uses. He says Jesus' cross, the, Jesus' death on the cross redeems us. Now what does it mean to redeem something? To redeem means to buy something back. Uh, and in the ancient times it was often used in relation to buying back slaves. Uh, the, the only way a slave could gain freedom was if someone paid the price for their life. To redeem a life, you had to pay a price. And that is the price Jesus came to pay on the cross. On the cross, he gave his life as payment for our sin. Jesus, by his life, paid the price to redeem us from our slavery to sin, from the power of sin, from the consequences of our sin. He paid the price so that we could go free. Jesus' death on the cross is our justification. His death is the, is the payment for our sin. And finally, Paul says, Jesus' death atones for our sin. Have a look there with me at verse 25. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood be received by faith. Jesus on the cross, by his blood being spilled, atones for our sin. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to be a sacrifice of atonement? Well, the the word behind the phrase uh, is the word propitiation. Uh, It's a fancy Bible word. In other words, the the verse could read something like this. It could say, God presented Christ as a propitiation through the shedding of his blood. And to propitiate means to appease or satisfy God's anger. See, as God is a perfect, just, he has perfect justice and righteousness, he can't turn off his anger at sin. His judgment of sin must be directed somewhere. His character demands payment. The guilty must be punished before God. And it's at the cross. God's anger gets turned from us and directed at Jesus. This idea of appreciation gets to the heart of what's going on at the cross. It gets to the heart of how we can be justified to be declared righteous before a just God. And to understand this idea of propitiation, it's helpful to, to look back at the Israelite sacrificial system, to, to understand a bit more deeper what's going on. See, once a year in the Israelite community, the, the high priest would gather all the Israelite people together uh, and he would kill a goat as a sacrifice for their sins. The high priest then would enter into the temple and splatter the blood of the goat on the altar. He would sprinkle this blood to propitiate the wrath of God. This sacrifice 
was to satisfy God's perfect justice for sin. It was the payment for their sin. Through the, the substitution of a goat, the sins that people had been paid for. But the problem of that sacrificial system was that those animal sacrifices were never enough. They had to repeat it year after year. They didn't fully deal with the problem of Israel's sin. But those animal sacrifices through the generations were pointing to the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Jesus' blood spilled on the cross is the one perfect sacrifice for our sin. His blood spilled on the cross fully satisfies the wrath of God. In the words of Christ alone, it says, Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, he in the death of Christ I did. Do you understand what happened on the cross? A great exchange took place. A great transfer. When you illustrate this by using this book here, some of you might have seen this before, but just imagine with me for a moment if this book contained everything I'd ever done in my life, contained you know every thought I'd ever had, every word I'd ever spoken. Uh, this book has many dark pages in it especially around my teenage years, many dark pages, pages that you know I wouldn't want any of you guys to see. And one day God is going to you know, open up my book and I have to give an account before him according to his perfect sin. Well, on the cross, Jesus, the perfect one, the one who never deserved to experience the wrath and justice and wrath of God, he took all my sins on himself. He took all the sins of the whole world on himself. And on the cross endured the full weight of God's righteous anger for us. You see, the cross demonstrates God's perfect justice against sin. And it shows us how he is able to justify us. Paul says this in verse 26. He says, he, that is God, did this, presented Christ as a sacrifice to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Do you understand what happened? God's justice has been poured out on Jesus. And so he is able to look at anyone who has faith in him now like they never sinned. So the question we started with is, can we be made righteous and God still be just? Well, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can be made righteous before God based on the death of Jesus alone. He became sin for us so that those who have faith in Jesus can stand before him like they never sinned. And we can do that because our sin has been paid for in full. God's justice has been served by Jesus. No more judgment for sin needs to be paid. The 
question then for each of us to consider is, when you come before God on that day of judgment, when he opens up the account of your life and he says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Would you start off by listing all the things you've done for God? Would you start off listing all the, the good things you've done for others? Would you say, God, I tried really, really hard to live for you each day. I, I, I tried my best. Or would you say, in the words of how deep the Father's love, I'll not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I'll boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Being justified before God is not about us doing anything, but it's about what Jesus has done on the cross. Being justified before God is, is about turning away from your false righteousness, thinking that you can be right based on what you do, thinking you can be right, that you are a good person before God. It's about turning away from that false righteousness and receiving the righteousness that Jesus offers you as a free gift. See, no matter what you've done, God can make you right with him. He can welcome you in and accept you. And it all starts by putting your faith in Jesus. So if you're here today and maybe you want to put your faith in Jesus, all you need to do is to say sorry, thank you, and please. To say sorry, God, for, for turning my back on you. Thank you. Sending Jesus to die in my place, to pay the price for my sin. And then please, God, help me to live for him. And if you're someone here who already trusts and has faith in Jesus, let me encourage you with these words in closing from a pastor named Thomas Hooker from the, the 1600s. He says this, this is where his confidence and hope was. He said, is it, our, it is our wisdom and our comfort. We care for no knowledge in the world but this, that man has sinned and God has suffered, and that God made himself the sin of men, and that men are made the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in awe of who you are, the just judge and ruler of the world. We come before you and acknowledge our sin and how far we fall short of your glory. But Father, we thank you by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't stand before you as we deserve. We thank you that Jesus took all our sin upon himself so that we might be free from sin and alive in him. Father, help us to live in light of Jesus' death for us. May we not try living to please you by our works, but may we live a life of gratitude, a life that treasures and boasts only in our Saviour Jesus. 
And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We invite the musos up now. And we're going to continue reflecting on this beautiful message of Jesus justifying us before God. And we're going to sing um, the song, How Deep the Father's Love, the song that I alluded to in the sermon. Our only boast is in Jesus. So let's stand.